People who believe in things you cannot see, hear, or confirm are troublemakers. Hello, Horton. Because if you're a Christian, you believe in things you can't see, hear, or confirm. And the world will always try to silence you. The world is constructed on their own rationalism and their own ability to confirm it with sight and sound. But when we think about a world that is troubled, we have to understand that we have troubled them. That when you begin to believe in things unseen, when you begin to believe in faith, you actually shake the structures of this world. And the structures of this world begin to fight against. That's why so many times faith in its own construct begins to acquiesce into the rationalism of the world. So that though faith all started out in the movement of the Spirit, much of it has been reduced to a rational understanding and an intellectual way. But there is a movement, a remnant in the Christian faith that says, no, 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 no. We believe in what you cannot see and what you cannot confirm with the natural eye. But when we do that, we have trouble. Things come against us. Paul, the apostle, writes to the Corinthian church and he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships, trouble. We suffer in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even to life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul admits, listen, we've got great pressure. Listen, the pressure we've got is far beyond our own ability. We've even almost given up, despaired unto our own life. We, we thought we were going to die. Have you, have you ever had troubles? One or two in this room. Have you ever had any things that caused you great pressure and stress that you, you just almost gave up on? Well, let me tell you, the world is in a troubling condition today. The world is having all kinds of troubles out there, and they really want those troubles to be on you. They really want their troubles to become your troubles. But Paul writes to the Corinthians and he said, I do not want you to have a lack of knowledge, to be uninformed, to be unaware. And I don't want you to simply join into the troubles and agree that we got troubles. We're not supposed to join into that agreement. We're supposed to have a knowledge and understand. I've, I've had some troubles in my life, things I couldn't rebuke. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a situation, no matter how much you rebuked it, it just stayed? Uh, things I couldn't confess away. I tried, but they stayed. There's been situations in my life that I wanted to blame somebody, but I didn't have anybody I could blame. And Paul begins to look at that, and he begins to give this great answer. He said, this has happened that we might not trust in ourselves. How many have ever been in a situation where you couldn't trust yourself? When you didn't have any ability, you didn't have any 
power. Listen, there's troubles in the world that cause us to recognize that we can't trust in ourselves, but that we can trust in a God that even if the worst happens, he raises us from the dead. I, I don't trust in just any God. I trust in the only God that raised himself from the dead. There's only one deity that claims to have been resurrected. His name is Jesus. And he said, this stuff is happening, but we cannot trust in ourselves. Every human being in this room would like to trust in themselves. But there are just certain things you can't get yourself out of. And then he tells them, he has delivered us. He, he will deliver us. And he will continue to deliver us. We must understand that as Christians, we follow a God that has, will, and will continue to rescue us, one translation says. I mean, no, we need rescued. We need delivered out of the hand. And the psalmist in the Old Testament are continually saying, he hath delivered us from all of our trouble. That the righteous have been delivered out of trouble. That he sent his word and healed our diseases and delivered us from destructions. He sent his word and healed, and he sent his his presence, and he delivered us out of everything. And when I read about Paul, I absolutely love Paul, because Paul didn't talk about hangnails. If I didn't know any better, I'd think Christians were upset over hangnails. I go to the coffee shop, and I listen to Christians sitting around me, and I'm thinking, you ain't got any problems. I'm serious. I watch Facebook and think, oh, get over it. But, but, but when I read Paul, he writes things like this. I've worked much harder, been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count. I've been at death's door time after time. I've been flogged five times with the Jews' 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, plummeted with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times, immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. In hard traveling, year in, year out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by the desert and the sea storm, betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery, hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. And this is the one I really like. And if that's not the half of it, when you throw in all the daily pressures and anxiety of all the churches... When someone gets to the end of his rope, I feel that desperation in my bones. When someone is duped into sin, an angry fire burns in my gut. Wow, I like this guy. Makes me realize that when he says they've been stressed, he means they've been stressed. He's not talking about some little nothing. He's talking about, and, and he must have kept a journal because he said three times, five times, two times. I mean, he, he has kept a record of how many times he has been wounded, hurt, left for dead. I remember the time I was in Damascus, and the governor of the king, Atris, posted guards at the city gates to arrest me. I crawled through a window in the wall. Now, let me explain. This window is about 90 to 100 feet up on a stone wall. It's actually the hole in the wall where they push the sewer from the city out. Paul, I got good news. We have found a way out. Crawl in there and we'll flush. You didn't get it. He said, I remember being in a tight spot one time. And he goes, I found a window through the sewer. 
And not only that, they had to put me in a basket and lower me all the way to the ground. But I got out. You know, some people are still stuck in a situation because they don't like the options that God's given them to get out. Oh, some of you are going to have to think about it for a minute. I mean, I'm just stuck here. No, you can get flushed. You just got to jump in. Some of you are still in the mess that you're in because you don't like the options that he's given you. Paul said, there will always be a way out. I am the way maker, he's saying. Listen, Paul is saying, don't be ignorant about the troubles that we've experienced. My God always has a window in the wall, a way to get through the situation that you're in. He has delivered, he will deliver, and he always will deliver me from the troubles of this world. Do not be troubled about the things in this world, because God is bigger than the troubles that are in this world. That's good news for somebody in the room. He goes on to write, we were hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We were perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also might be manifested in our body. Could I, could I just suggest we're supposed to be carrying around death with us all the time. We're supposed to be carrying out the reality that this thing is not going to live forever, but we are. We're not supposed to be afraid of death. We're supposed to be carrying death. We're going to pick it up and carry it around with us and say, you think you're going to scare me with death? Look at this. I'm the one carrying it. Some of you in this room are so afraid of what tomorrow's going to bring, you don't understand. We're supposed to be carrying all that stuff around going, nah, 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 nah. He said, we were this, but we weren't that. We were this. I can be going through hell, but I'm not going to live in hell. I can be going through difficulty, but I'm not going to let it touch me. I might be living in the trouble of this world, but I'm not troubled. Do you understand? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. There's two things you need to understand about trouble. Trouble comes so that you can trust in God. Trouble comes so that you can understand it's only temporary, honey. It's light and it's momentary. It's temporary. If you can feel it, see it, taste it, it won't last. If you can confirm it with natural resources, it's fading. Anything that's out here is fleeting, fading. It will not last. The grass will wither, but the word will remain. You need to hear me. There's trouble in the world that reveals that our trust is in him. There's trouble in the world so the world understands it's a temporary experience. Everything here is temporary, but it is working for us even a greater weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. Hello, Horton. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal, everlasting. Somebody say it with me. My trust trust. is in God. Not in me, you, or the news media. My trust is in the God that raises the dead, the cold out and out. My God can resurrect every dream, every hope that I've ever had. My trust, I'm not going to be troubled, I'm going to trust. Number two, if it's being shaken, it's temporary. It's just temporary. Hmm. But understand this, he writes to Paul, that in the last days, say last days, Last days, say last days, and in the last days will come, set in, I like that, settle in, perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. 
Man, wouldn't you like to get that letter? I'm writing you a letter. <laughs> the time is coming. Going to settle in. I've been in airports where stuff settled in. I've been in airports where you watch the stuff roll in. Come on, Tana. You wanted to get home that Friday night, but this storm system just kept settling in, and you knew you were going to sleep on the floor that night. I've been in some nice airports, but never a good one. I, I, I mean, their floor is hard. And it settles in. How many have ever been in one of those seasons when it's settled in? I don't like it when it gets cold. I hate cold. Don't walk up to me and tell me you like cold. You're sick. I, I, I like cold weather. You're sick. I mean, when, when it, there's a reason why there's never too many people living in the Antarctic. There's nobody retiring to the Antarctic. I, I mean, listen. And I can handle a blast of it, but when I hate my phone when it goes... A week after next, it's still going to be two below. I mean, when it settles in, it's depressing, right? And he said, in the last days, it's going to settle in. It's going to become an atmosphere. But let me tell you something about something settling in. It also blows away. The wind will begin to blow, and what once settled in, it's a season, and it'll blow out. So he said, in the last days, these things will settle in, and they'll be hard to deal with and hard to bear. Can I tell you, we're living in times where stuff has settled in, and it's hovering, and it's there, but there's a wind coming. Oh, you didn't hear me. But there's a wind that's going to come. Something's going to blow. Oh, well. And it's going to, this stress, this hard to deal with, this troubled times. Verse 2 said, People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Duh! Wow! Shazam! Hello! In the last days! Hello! Do you know what trouble does? It tells you what time it is. Anytime you see trouble, you need to know what time it is. Look at James and say, I know what time it is. It's that time. Paul, wait, wait. We're living in troubled times. Hello. It, but verse 14 says, but as for you, continue to hold to the things that you've learned of which you are convinced, knowing from whom you've learned them. In other words, stay in the word. Hear me. I am under orders the last couple of weeks to tell you, read it. Don't look at it. Pull it off your shelf and read it because this world is troubled. But can I tell you, this will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain forever. The Bible says it's settled forever in heaven. How are you going to live in the middle of troubled times if you don't have this thing open? I feel so good when I go to church. Yeah, and you feel bad when you leave. I'm glad you feel good when you're here. You do understand I didn't come this morning to make you feel good. I came this morning to remind you we are people of the word. Get in the word and you'll live through the trouble. But you got to get in the word. Oh, well. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that's preached to you. It's all the way through the Bible. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void without producing any effect. 
but it will accomplish that which I please and purpose. And it shall prosper the thing which I sent it to. Quit returning the mail. Some have been writing, return to sender. Listen, if it's in that book, it's to me. If it says, by his stripes I am healed, buddy, it's to me. Every word in here is meant to prosper me. Every word in here is meant to heal me. Hear me, America. For the last 400 years, the pulpit has been preaching how using this word to divide you from God, to separate you from one another, that you didn't have the right doctrine, you didn't get baptized the right way, you're the wrong sex to be preaching. Hear me, they're all liars. The gospel is about bringing you into relationship with God on the basis of his love and grace for you and that alone. And I'll hang with Paul. If they're not doing that, may they be emasculated. And if you don't know what that means, I can explain it after church. What did he say? Never mind. After 70 years are complete, I will return and perform my good word, good word, and cause you to return to this place. None of my words, Ezekiel said, will be postponed. I'm ready to perform them now. And they went out everywhere and preached everywhere. And the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs and wonders following. We're living in a troubled world. Can I tell you why it's troubled? Heaven's coming. Hear me. We've been praying for 2,000 years. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Some of you have been practicing the rapture thing. Can I tell you, heaven has been invading the planet ever since Jesus left. And every structure that's on this planet is nervous because it's about to be replaced with the kingdom of heaven. And anything that's of man is screaming and hollering because hear me, anything that is here of man is about to get swallowed up by the kingdom of God. We've been in the last days since the day his feet lifted off. Some of you think, oh, we're closer. We've been so close for 2,000 years, you don't even get it. It's always been the last day. The world has always been troubled about the coming of the government of God. They keep running their mouth. They get on this one and then on that one. They Listen, they send them to Herod and send them to, to, to Pilate and send them back to Sad, send them back over here. Then nobody wants the truth. They just send him over here and 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 eventually they're going to nail him to a tree. Why? Because they ain't going to listen to the truth even if you told them. Or you're not listening to me. They're trouble. And the trouble is heaven's here. And guess where it's at? In you. So if heaven's in you, why are you troubled? You're supposed to be troubling them. Horton. You're Horton. Filled with heaven. I believe in things you cannot see. I believe in specks you cannot identify. You're not supposed to be succumbing to the structures of this world. You're supposed to be announcing the heaven of God that's living on the inside of you. Oh, well. I love Mark 4, 15. These are the ones along the path are those who have the word sown in their hearts. 
And when they hear the word, Satan comes at once and by force takes away the message that is sown in them. Can I tell you something this morning? You're going to hear me preaching. And the enemy is going to come by force and try to take it away from you. Going to come immediately and try to take it away from you. Well, I just don't believe that God could be that good. I just don't. But listen to me. You're supposed to trust in, rely on that anything that's temporary is being replaced with the eternal. Anything that's temporary is being replaced by the eternal. And time, trouble tells us what time it is. If you go read Luke's gospel, the 21st chapter, it's all about the end, the last days. This is happening, this is happening, this is happening. Men's hearts are failing for fear. But verse 13 says, but this will be a time of opportunity for you to bear testimony. What is trouble? It's the time for you to be testifying. Trouble is the time for you and your life to testify that the world has no effect on you because the one who made the world lives on the inside of you and sustains you by his promises. And so in the middle of trouble is the best time to be a testimony for who God is in this world. Verse 13, resolve and settle it in your minds not to meditate and prepare beforehand how you are to make your defense and how you will answer. Listen, I'm thinking about what God has said. Verse 15, my favorite verse right now, I, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom. Listen, I've been praying, God, to fill my mouth with wisdom, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Some of you need to quit repeating what you're hearing on the news, and you need to be speaking a revelation word of God, because it's the wisdom that comes from heaven that's going to resolve the troubles that are in this world, not you arguing one opponent against the other or your denomination against this, but there is a godly wisdom that's trying to come from above and come out of the mouths of men. Am I making any sense? And women, just to clarify. <laughs> Trust in the Lord. If it's temporary, let go of it. Recognize what time it is and become a testimony of who God is in this world. I love how Peter addresses this subject in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. In this you greatly rejoice. When it gets troublesome, greatly rejoice. When it becomes pressuresome, greatly rejoice. When the world starts shaking, greatly rejoice. I don't see a lot of rejoicing going on. I see a lot of people going, oh my God. Touch your neighbor and say, greatly. That means more than this. That means a little more than... Have you ever seen anybody greatly rejoice? Come to my house when the chiefs are winning, I will show you. <laughs> I, come to my house when the IRS sends you a couple thousand dollars, I'll, I'll, I'll show you. Uh, come to my house when they tell you, son, you're cancer free. Come to my house. So, some of you need to understand that our continual state of being is to be rejoicing. What makes you think that the world is supposed to trigger your rejoicing. The world is not the trigger of my rejoicing nor the trigger of my depression. It is the word of God that greatly creates rejoicing in my life. I get so tickled when people start out, well, I feel or I thought or I think, well, what made you think we care? 
In this I greatly rejoice, that though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith. Did you know that every trouble is going to reveal you as genuine? That every trial, every pressure is going to reveal the authenticity of your faith. Every time we see something shaken, your faith, which is more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire. Hear me, the fires and the trials of this world are to reveal the preciousness of our faith. I love what he says in the fourth chapter of his same letter. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. Touch your neighbor and say, quit thinking strangely. Oh, look at your other neighbor. (laughs) Pull out your own, take out your phone, turn it on, look at yourself. Don't think strange. We somehow get the idea that if we're going through troubles, it's strange. No, it would be strange if you're not going through something. We're always going to have these troubles in this world because we're announcing the coming of another world. And this world is always going to push away from people that are announced. Beloved, do not think it strange, but rejoice. There it is again. The dude that died upside down said, rejoice. The dude that had real trouble said, rejoice. I love this. What do you do when stuff happens to you? Rejoice. Recover your joy. Do it again. Or how about James? James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of any kind. Anybody here facing a trial of any kind? Nobody. My life's cool. I've got it all together. We're going to cast that out on the way out. We have people in the parking lot that we have trained in exorcism in Rome. And they're <laughs> four people are going, I'm going that way. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Ooh, that was bad. Somebody will use that. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Look at James and say, when this is over, I lack nothing. When this is over, nothing's going to be missing. When this is through, look out. Nothing. I'm, we need to understand that the ability to look at things and rejoice over them is the strength that we have. That if the devil can't keep your joy, he can't keep your... If he can't steal your joy, he can't keep... I learned this so long ago. I learned so long ago that they could come in and get your refrigerator. But if you were dancing about the fact they stole your refrigerator, the, the Bible says the devil has to bring back seven of them. Now, either you believe the book or you don't believe the book. But the book says that if the devil can't get your joy, he can't keep your stuff. The Bible says that if you consider it all joy, that that joy of the Lord is your strength and and he's got to bring it back. Say, bring it back. While you're laughing that he thinks he can keep it, he's got to bring it back. All those years you wasted? Oh, I could have you standing like a crazy Pentecostal. Bring it back! I used to preach it that way. I'd make everybody stand up and go, bring it back! 
I remember a guy preacher from South America, and he said he woke up one night in South America, and his bed was bouncing like this all over the place, and then the demons and the witch doctors had put a curse on him, and the bed was bouncing. He said, pretty soon it stopped. And he said, now the bed's like eight feet from the wall. And he said, I laid there for a minute. I said, put it back. He said, it bounced back over into place. And he said, I went to sleep. Smith Wigglesworth. If you don't know who I'm talking about, Smith Wigglesworth. Some of you need to go, put it back. You're worried getting up trying to scoot the bed back. Gotcha. It can't be that good. Well, it really can't unless you say. Acts chapter 3, Luke writes in verse 19, Repent, therefore, change your mind. Turn around, return to God, that your sins may be erased, blotted out, wiped clean, that the times, times of refreshing, the recovery from the effects of the heat, a reviving with fresh air, may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, I've heard people preach this about, well, when you repent, that means you get to go to heaven. No, when you repent, that means you get to recover. When you repent, that means you get to be refreshed. When you repent, that means you get to be revived. It is the changing of your mind about the troubles of this world that opens the windows of heaven to bring a refreshing moment into your life in the midst of the troubles that you're having. In other words, the way you think about the troubles that are going on in the world will determine what time it is for you. They may think it's time to harm you, but it's time to refresh you. Am I, am I in your... You can change the times by simply changing the way you think about the times that you're living in. Just touch your neighbor and say, I need to be refreshed. I, I, I need this. What? Um, come on. Anybody in here ever heard somebody say, dinner time, supper time? I, I mean, I'm... I, I, Miller time. He said, what? Oh, come on. You know what that means, right? I mean, how did he know that? Too many commercials. It's all commercials. Dinner time. Supper time. Last time. Miller time. Let me say this to you. The last days, this is the last day he's going to threaten me with that thing. This is the last time he's going to threaten me with that diagnosis. This is the last time he's going to threaten me with that disease. Some of you are so predestination, you're thinking that he means the whistle's going to blow and we're going to fly. No, it's not. I'm saying this is the last time you put that in my life. This is the last time you scare me like that. Some of you are so eschatological that you're waiting for the man to roll up the earth. Listen, the earth is not going to get rolled up. It's going to be invaded by the presence of heaven. And it's going to be the last time that you threaten me with that thing. Talk about Miller time. It's heaven time. It's refreshing time. It's go time. It's, it's, it's my time. It's your time. You're supposed to step up out of the time of the trouble and begin to rejoice in the midst of it because this is the last time you're doing that to me. Oh, well. I was raised in a world that was always worried about the last days. Honey, it's the last day that nut's going to do that. It's the last day I'm going to worry about that. 
It's the last day. They're Am I making any sense? The times of refreshing. Why do I know that? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. The recovery of sight to the blind. The release of the oppressed. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's unmerited favor. One translation says, time's up. The kingdom of God is at hand. Listen, the troubles of this world are indicating that it's their end, not mine. It's indicating that it's the end of the way this world is getting along. Mine is just beginning. You need to understand that the world is struggling under the death grip of its own declarations. Mm. The Bible says in Daniel that God sets the times and the seasons. Daniel writes in chapter 7, the enemy would like to set the times and the seasons. But it is God, the father of time, that knows what time it is. Wow, i got seven minutes. It's the last time. I grew up in a, in, in, in a group of people that, man, they read the book of Revelation and they read the book of Daniel to scare the snot out of you. I mean, I went to sleep dreaming a beast. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, when, 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 when the Lord of the Rings came out, I just knew my grandmother wrote it. <laughs> I kept looking for Jesse. It, kept, it said TR. I kept, no. Jesse wrote that book. I know she wrote that book. So I grew up scared to death every time the, the pastor would go, turn to Daniel. Or turn to Revelation. Because I'm thinking, I don't understand it. I just know I ain't going to make it. But what happened in that season and in that time was that I got a really good picture of the stories that are in there. And today, one of my favorite stories is to talk about Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Today, I look back at the story of the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace and I realize that they give us a window, a process whereby we can look at our lives when it seems as the heat has been turned up. That we can look through the lenses of those boys and we can understand what it means to live under pressure. That we understand what happens when Nebuchadnezzar comes to change our names. That we understand that they are living in a hostile environment. They're living as exiles. That we understand that due to the compromising of previous generations, Daniel and his friends find themselves in a very difficult situation. Let me say that again. Due to the previous generations and their compromising, we now find ourselves in a very dangerous situation. And I'm not talking about morality. That's what fundamentalists want to do. Fundamentalists want to talk about the compromising of sexuality or alcohol or of language. No, you hear me. In the last three to four hundred years, the American church has compromised on grace. The American church has turned the message of the gospel into a performance-based religion. And they have evaluated that denomination against that denomination. They have evaluated whether you take wine with communion or grape juice with communion, whether or not women can preach as though sexuality had anything to do with it. 
They have pitted denomination against denomination. And in, in, in the lack of a demonic oppression, they have made other forms of religion their enemy. Previous generations of religious people have compromised this generation. And we find ourselves in bondage to nothing short of a Judaizing law again. And it takes radical people to start preaching a radical grace to begin to reach the cynicism and the sheer disgust of a generation of children that are fed up with what the previous generation did. Notice how quiet it gets in this place. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were in real trouble because of the compromising of the purity of who God is by the former generation. It was difficult. It was stressful. It's hard to deal with. They were in a bad place. And the disobedience and the compromise of other people led to their imprisonment. It wasn't fair. However, they could not wallow in their own self-pity. Though the world had invaded and destroyed and occupied, they were still the best of the best. They knew who they were because of the names they had been given. They were forced to acquiesce positionally, but not prophetically, to the pressures that were around them. In Nebuchadnezzar's backyard, there was a laboratory that would reveal who they really are. They were commanded to fall down and to worship at the feet of the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. They were, they were threatened. Hear me today. Our refusal to worship the world's image is our real worship. Our refusal to worship what they hold up as icons, celebrities, superstars, our refusal to worship what they call success, that is our real worship. Our refusal to sell our soul for the pleasures of this world, that is real worship. They will turn up the furnace seven times if we stand opposed to the things that they say are valuable. We must remain who we are and refuse to bow to the cultures of this world. I practice that. Listen to me. Every time we cry out for revival, every time we cry out for the presence of God, you must understand that the metaphors that Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Elijah use to describe the presence of God is fire. That God is a fire from the loins up and a fire from the loins down. That he answers from heaven with fire. That he radiates out of the fire. That the word of God in our bones is fire. That when he came in the upper room, he sat down on them with tongues of fire. You see, he is found where it is impossible for you and I to live. That the presence of God is experienced where we cannot stand or defend or protect ourselves. That the presence of God that had chosen Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah is in that fiery furnace. And that the troubles of this world are preparing to throw us into what they see as dangerous and what we find as exhilarating. That they will stoke up the fire and it will be for our good. That they will throw us into what they think is our damnation and it will literally be our salvation. You have to understand 
you don't need to be afraid of the threats of this world. Because the very threat of the world is the answer to your prayers. And they would bind those three boys and they would pick them up and they would throw them into the midst of the fiery furnace. And guess what they would find in the midst of the fiery furnace? They would find a fourth man walking as the Son of God in the very furnace that the world is trying to resist. Hear me. We can live trouble-free in a trouble-filled world because the world itself is setting up for our glorification. We will be glorified in the very midst of the moment we think we are being thrown away. Am I making any sense to you? This is our faith. This is the gospel. That he is the resurrection and the life. And though they threaten us with annihilation, we know how to live in the middle of exile. We know who we are. We refuse to worship at the feet of the culture, at the feet of the empire, at the feet of a government that would stand against the kingdom of God. And hear me, all man-made governments stand against God. All of them. Today is that day where if we're going to stand in the midst of this world, we must consider it a joy to face the trials that we are facing. The Amplified Bible says, so that you may be perfectly, fully developed with no defects, lacking nothing. Do you understand that they got thrown into that fire, but when they pulled them out, there was no singe on their clothing. They didn't even smell like they had been in the smoking room at the airport. There was no effects on their bodies of the fire they had walked through. Am I making any sense? That's why James could say, consider it all joy. Because the troubles of this world will have no effect upon you. Listen, we should do nothing but rejoice in the face of the things of this world. Our trust is in God, not in ourselves. The things that are being shaken and threatened are temporary. They are telling what time it is. It's time for us to give testimony to a God that is not seen except through his people. He is not seen except through the voices of his people. We today are called to give voice and testimony to the fact that we will not bow to the things of this world, but we will experience the fire of God. Can I tell you that the preciousness of your faith, the truth will be found in the fire. It will be found in that. Everybody today is trying to figure out what truth is. Truth is found in the fire. In the fire, the Son of Man will be revealed. In the fire, you'll walk with Him. Hear me. The only thing we have to do today is to stand up and remain true to Him and to that faith that He has called us to. I, as your pastor, simple as I may be, feel like the Lord in the last several weeks has looked at me and said, get in the Word. Get in this Bible. You find time. I can remember as a very young man, I'm trying to remember her name. His name was Mac. Peggy and Mac McClard. Peggy and Mac, they came to the church when we was over on 10th Street. There were 30 of us. He was a, a retired uh, Marine, I think. Sergeant, Major, something, 25 years and I got a call one night, it was late one night, 
And I got a call from Peggy. She was in a hospital. She'd had surgery the day before. And she called me and said, Pastor, can you come see me? I said, yes, ma'am, I can. It's cold. And I got out and drove to the hospital, and I walked in, and there's Peggy laying in bed, and they couldn't stop her from hemorrhaging. And I walked up, and the doctor met me, said, you're Pastor Moore? And I said, yeah. And he goes, if I stop giving her blood, she's going to die. He said, we can't stop the bleeding. I don't know what's happening. I've been in surgery twice. We can't stop it. I walked in. I walked in. She said, thanks, Pastor, for coming. I said, yes, ma'am. She turned around to Mac, and she said, you can leave now. He said, yes. And as he's walking away, she said, shut the door. He walked out and shut the door. She said, he has no faith. I don't need him right now. She said, do you bring a Bible? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, turn to Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 6. I was 28 years old. She said, read it to me. When I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I didn't know that verse was there. She said, read that again, Pastor. And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your own blood, live. I said to you in your own blood, live. She said, now, Pastor, one grace lessons ever learned. She said, Pastor, I want you to lay your hands right here. I laid my hands on her tummy, and she started praying. She said, Lord, I'm struggling in my own blood, and I know you're near. And I know that you have no respect to a person, so if you spoke to that woman in her blood, you're speaking to me in my blood. If you told her to live, you're telling me to live, and I'm going to live. i got things I need to do. She said, this young man standing here beside me, and he's agreeing with me. You commanded me to live in my blood. I'm going to live in my blood. She opened her eyes. She looked at me. I'm standing with my mouth open. She said, you agree with me? I said, I agree with you. She said, read that verse again. I passed by you and I saw you struggling in your own blood. And I said, live in your own blood. I said, live in your own blood. She prayed again. When she was satisfied that I had agreed properly. She said, you can go home tonight now and sleep well, Pastor. I'm going to be okay. She said, on your way out, tell Mac to go home. I said, yes, ma'am. Peggy lived about another seven years. Here's your pastor. I'm looking at you. I didn't read that in a book. That was Peggy McClard taught me that. Some of you are in trouble. You need to open up that Bible and don't put it down until God speaks to you. God will give you a verse. It'll resonate in your heart. You'll know he spoke to you. And when he did, when he does, you ought to write it down. You ought to commit it to memory. You ought to make everybody else leave the room that doesn't have faith. You ought to find one person that has a little bit of faith. You ought to pray that prayer. If you have to pray it every day, every night, I don't care. But contrary to popular religion in the country and the time in which we live, that Bible is meant to give you a promise of life and not a destruction of death. Find yourself a word from God. 
Stand on it. Pray it. Because his will for you is to live. And to live abundantly and to live well. Don't look around at the world and the trouble they're professing. He has the final authority. Well, Pastor, just tell me what verse I ought to read. No. She found hers. You find yours. That's part of the process. I'll go buy me a promise book. Won't do you any good. You've been given the book. Take time. Find a word. Well, what if it's the wrong word? Can I tell you there's no such thing as a wrong word? God can use a baguette. It's not like there's a magic sentence in there. It's whatever word he says to you. Father, I pray that my simple words this morning and Peggy's simple lesson might bring life to those that hear it. Thank you, Father, that we can live in troubled times and be trouble-free. Did you know that in the beginning, God